0: May I invite you once again to uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. Uh, we'll read a couple of verses at the end of chapter 9, but before I do that, I want to remind you that today is the 30th of October. That means that at 5 o'clock tomorrow, the nomination process will be over. So if you intend to nominate someone for the office of elder, you need to accomplish that before 5 o'clock tomorrow. Now, it would be so convenient for you to do it Now. So if you need one of these blue cards, this is the thing that we use, the, um, the device we use to uh, accept your nominations. I've got one. I've got several right down here. You can get one on the way out or uh, wrap this up today. So don't forget. Now, you follow as I read um, two verses out of uh, the closing two verses of chapter nine. We're just moving right along in the book of Hebrews, but um, they read like this. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, let me begin this morning with a, with a note of thanks and then a, a note of confession. The note of thanks. Um, one of the, um, the privileges of my life is that I am allowed to spend the better part of every day studying this book in preparation to teach from this book. I am allowed that privilege because you have seen fit to pay me um, to to do that. And it is no small privilege. And I I hope you understand that I see it as a great sacred... um, opportunity that you have granted me. Thank you. Now, as for the note of confession, through the course or through the, um, the occasions of my studying this book, the privilege that you give me, I am convicted, I am led, I am comforted, but I am also taught The uh, the longer I study it, the more I discover that I have a whole lot left to learn. And An example of that deficiency in me is in the text this morning. Um, When I I first started studying the last paragraph of chapter 9, my first inclination was to include verses twenty seven and twenty eight with the other um, verses twenty three through twenty six but as I studied the passage, um, I discovered that I have for years been misusing it um, and because I have I thought it was necessary to to separate these two verses from the larger paragraph and correct my mishandling of this text. So here we go. First of all, um, to explain, when many of us became Christians, I became Christian uh, a Christian forty-five years ago, and I was twenty-two. And one of the things that I was almost immediately taught, and I bet you were too. I bet you many of you were taught this. It's a little aphorism that is very helpful, very useful, and very accurate. And the aphorism is this. A text, out of its context, is a pretext. You've heard that before, haven't you? I bet you have. I bet you used it too. Well, and then, after I was taught that, they they gave me a little... um, Example, a little illustration of uh, that, uh, that mistake. And the illustration was, was this. Here, here's, the, here's the example of taking a text out of its context and its pre. Okay, here's an example. And Judas went out and hanged himself. Go ye and do likewise, and whatsoever you do, do quickly. The only people who are laughing in here are the ones who've never heard that because it's old. I just dated myself. But, but you see the problem, guys. Those are three verses of scripture or three portions of verses of scripture torn out of their context but side by side and uh, apparently teaching something that is nonsense. What I discovered is that to some degree I have been doing that very thing with verse 27 for years. (laughs) I memorized verse 27 years ago, and I have used it scores of times, uh, and and maybe you have too, used it numerous times, um, and and here's how I used it. Let me give you an example of how I used verse 27. Um, this time last year, we were gathering a group of people to go to Israel. Remember that we went in April and, um, we had a, we had a group of 42 and there was a, um, I think it was on the 11th of November, but it could have been the 13th of November. There was a terrorist attack in Paris. Remember that? And people were frightened and, and rightly so. So I sent out an email to those 42 people. And I said, I need you to come to my house on Sunday night we need to discuss this. So they all came to my house and and at that time I offered to give them their money back because they were afraid of these things that were happening in the world and some of them took me up on that. But at the same time, I tried to lead them by saying, now remember, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. Uh, death is not by accident, it's by appointment. There's a sense in which I am indestructible until my day of appointment arrives. My days are numbered, and God has fixed a day on which my earthly life will come to a close. Now guys, that's all true. I'm not saying that what I told them was false. What I am saying is this, that is not the intent of this author with these two verses in this portion of the book of Hebrews. His intent was not to give me some kind of pithy little saying that I could use to explain the the timing of one's death. That is not the purpose of Hebrews chapter nine, verses 27 and 28. I'll give you another example, and I've done this one too. Romans chapter seven, verses one through four, especially verse two, where it talks about if your spouse dies, you are free to remarry. And so I've taken uh, widows and widowers to that passage and says the Bible gives you permission to marry if your spouse dies. That's true. But that is not the intent of Romans 7, verses 1 through 4. Romans 7, 1 through 4 is teaching one's union with Christ, <clears throat> not some kind of <clears throat> principle of marriage. <clears throat> so, guys, having said all that, I now get the opportunity to tell you what this text really Is saying. And of course, it has to do with putting it back into the context out of which it came. All right? Look at it. Look at verses 27 and 28. I want you to notice this. Verse 27 begins this way. Just as, look at verse 28. So Christ. Do you see it? There's his intent right there. Guys, he is drawing a comparison. This is an analogy. Just as this is true, so is this true. <clears throat> That's what he's doing, guys. He is using a Common human experience, death, what um, George Bernard Shaw called the ultimate statistic, one, one out of one. He's using a common experience of all humanity and uses that common experience to form the basis of a comparison that he's making in verse 28.) <clears throat> Do you see that? In essence, we live once, we die once, and then comes judgment. So to Christ. He lived once. He died once. And then comes judgment. A judgment not for him, but a judgment by him. Now, but before we get to verse twenty-eight, let me let me drain a little bit more out of verse twenty-seven. Okay, gang, we all know that we die once. That's that's uh, no new news. But the part of verse twenty-seven that we seek to ignore is this part about what follows. Death. After that, says the text, comes judgment. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, men do all sorts of mental and theological gymnastics to so that they can continue to live in denial. Denying that death is not the end of human experience. And you see, by my using of this text the way I have been using it, I help them. I help them ignore this very serious item in the text by transferring their attention To the appointment of death. Isn't that just like the devil? To get us to concentrate on anything. As long as we miss that. I don't know of a subject that is more unacceptable at the company picnic. I don't know of a subject that is more shunned, more avoided than this one. For it is appointed to a man to die once and move on. That's not what the text does, ladies and gentlemen. And that's how I've used it. Now, <clears throat> do, you, do you understand what it's teaching? One of the things that the text means is that all of those efforts to redefine what happens after death are repudiated. Like, um, hmm, reincarnation. Not according to this text. Or how about this one? Purgatory. There is no purgatory, ladies and gentlemen. According to this clear statement, gang, death serves God like everything else in the universe. Death delivers man into the presence of God so that that judgment might take place. And the judge, very interestingly, is Jesus. And in case that's a new idea, uh, write this down, Acts 17, 31. Go look at it this afternoon and you'll discover that what I just told you is correct. Judgment follows death. Those two go together. And that's the point of the text. That's the analogy that the author is making inside the text. Furthermore, I want you to notice that the cause behind both of those things, death and judgment, is God's appointment. We can go to this appointment joyfully, or we can go to this appointment cringingly. But that appointment's going to be kept. And you know, ladies and gentlemen, I am so naive as to believe. Is that every person in this room down deep knows that that's true? That we all have an appointment. And we're going to keep it. Now, gang. um, Let me state it again. What the author is doing in these two verses. Is saying in verse 27. Just as this is true. And we all know it is. So too. Verse 28. Is Christ. The inevitable event that follows Christ's death is his second coming. Those two things go together. But his second coming is so vastly different from his first one. Did you see it in the text? Verse 28. So Christ Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time but look not to deal with sin. He's already done that. He came one time to deal with it. When he comes the next time it's going to be vastly different. He's not going to be dealing with sin then. He, He doesn't come to, to deal with sin. He comes to judge. He doesn't come to serve. He comes to judge. He doesn't come to open the door of grace. He comes to close it. When this inevitable return occurs, he will bring no sacrifice, no atonement for sin, We live once, we die once, and then the judgment. So too, he lived once, he died once, and then comes the judgment. Gang, he's coming back to gather all of those who belong to him. He's coming back in completion um, of this, of salvation fullness. There is so much left that awaits us that we have not yet experienced. J- just to mention one, sin will be gone. Now, look again at the text. For whom? Who is it that he will gather as his own? Look, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Can you say that? I mean, can, can you say, Come, Lord Jesus? Are you eagerly awaiting his return? Then he's coming for you. But is that whole idea, does it evoke a sense of dread in you? Guys, every eye will see him, but not every eye will benefit. Because at the same time that he gathers his own to himself, he will also judge all those who do not belong to him. Now, one other thing that I want you to see in the text. Um, So Christ, look, having been offered, do you see that? Guys, do you recognize that that is, is, is in the passive voice? That's not an active verb. That's a passive verb. That is, Jesus Christ is, is the sacrificed one, having been sacrificed. Jesus is the offered one. By whom? By his Father. You know, somewhere along the line, we we got the notion that God in the Old Testament was this bloodthirsty, avenging, cruel God and that when Christ came, he somehow changed. Not so, ladies and gentlemen. The death of Christ did not cause God to love me. God loved me And then he sent his sin to die in my place. Do you know this text in 1 John 4? Herein is love? Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The author says, I'll tell you what love is. You want to know what love is? I'll tell you what it is. It's not that you love God. No, no. It's that he loved you. Because he did. He sent his son to die in your place. So you see, what you have in this text is you have God the Son as the judge and God the Father as the lover. That's not how we normally think of things, is it? So When this inevitable return occurs, he will appear a second time. When that happens, which is a certainty, what will be your experience? Um... Will he arrive to gather you to himself? Or will he stand as your judge? Will there be a crown for you? Well, uh, Dr. Young, I mean, uh, I, 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 I sure hope so. My friend, that is not good enough. I don't love you perfectly, but I do love you. I love you enough to want that you don't have to want it that you don't have to live like that. Death is scary, but judgment shouldn't be. Can can, can I quote you another verse? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans eight verse one there is therefore now no condemnation so have you um, have you been born again? have you passed from death to life have you um have you seen the fallacy of trusting in anything human? Have you discarded all of those self-righteousnesses as the filthy rags that they are? Are, are you now a, a new creature in Christ? I don't know, Dr. Young. All of those questions are so, are so vague for me. Okay, how about this one? Are you eagerly awaiting his return? If you are, he's coming to get you. All of those other questions are questions that I want to ask myself before the death that's being discussed is my own. Can I say, I'm eagerly waiting for you? because ladies and gentlemen everyone in this room who belongs to this Jesus as a savior the verdict is already in and he's coming back to get you just as man dies once and then the judgment So too, Christ will come a second time, not to deal with sin, but to gather up all those who eagerly are waiting for him. Father, I do pray that you will um, take this reminder and bury it in the hearts of your people to their refreshment, their enjoyment, and to their comfort. That Though there is so much, as we examine our lives, there's so much inconsistency in us. There's so much lack of faithfulness in us. There is underneath all of that this longing to be to have our savior return to rend the heavens and to come back and give his people release from this sin sick world and for those who can acknowledge and voice that those are the ones for whom Jesus is coming Oh, God, remind us afresh of the certainty of our safety for an eternity because we are in union with Christ. We pray, of course, in his name and for his sake. Amen.